Assalamu alaikum everyone, hope you guys are doing absolutely phenomenal out there on the interwebs wherever you may be listening to this, whether you are on the planet Earth or on some other planet, so be it, you know, we don't discriminate against our inter, inter, interstellar uh, listeners either, but I don't know how I got into that, this is starting out, this, <laughs> they're intergalactic, there we go, but I uh, hope you guys are doing absolutely phenomenal, my name is Yasin as always and I am joined with my my intergalactic lovely awesome oh, lovely there lovely we go intergalactic co-host so hey muhammad uh, i'm here yet again and this is another week of the sohail and yasin podcast yeah absolutely and so in today's podcast what we're gonna do is we're gonna put a little bit of a band-aid on the topic that we spoke about last week because having listened back to it a little bit what i realized is that the conversation that Sohail and I were having was very contextual to the relationship that him and I have related to knowing each other's situations. And it's very important to understand that what the topic we were talking about last time related to Islamic knowledge, it is extremely contextual based, based on this, the, the situation of the individual. This is one of the reasons why I'm such a big believer in coaching and mentorship because of the fact that out of all of the knowledge and all of the viewpoints and all of the ways of thinking about life and deen and business and relationships and health and all these things, there's so much knowledge out there. But until you have somebody who knows your exact situation, it's very difficult to be able to contextualize and actually say, okay, this is what is important for you. So last week's podcast episode was very contextual to a conversation that Sohail and I were having because I know that Sohail is in the process of, I mean, he is a talib al-ilm, he is a student of knowledge. He is somebody who... Um, emphasizes the pursuit of knowledge. And so for that reason, I took a rather uh, maybe leftist stance, you might be able to call, in trying to say like, yo, it's more so implementing more so about what it is that you know, more so being okay with what it is that you know. And so I can see where somebody might take that out of context and say, oh, Yasin saying that it's all about like the emotional or the, the taqwa state that you're in at this moment and so you shouldn't pursue knowledge and uh, knowledge has no bearing and all this knowledge society that we live in is upside down and I'm going to go and just like live in the mountains or something like that. But um, I want to hand it over to Sohail for here for a second because I want I know I talked to Sohail a little bit about this before we started recording. And so Sohail, if you want to kind of preface uh, what it is that we were trying to pinpoint what it is that we wanted to talk about. Yeah, so essentially, if like like Yasin said, if I were somebody who was just completely out of context and I listened to last week's episode, I would I would be pushed to go full Sufi and just kind of drop every single textbook, anything that I'm learning and just kind of like seclude myself. Um, but th- the idea of today's is that we want to emphasize that pursuing knowledge and actively seeking different routes of educating yourself is important. And there is, not necessarily there's a time and place for it, but the idea behind today's is finding the balance, finding the proper mixture of the two sides of it, where you're actually implementing it and you're focusing on yourself and your inner reflections versus you're actually in the trenches and learning and you're trying to absorb knowledge. So the the preface of today's discussion is essentially balance. And Yasin has a specific specific Arabic word that I kind of questioned him on before we started today's. Um, so I'll, I'll lob it back to you in terms of just kind of giving the background of what that one word means. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this this preface that I'm about to give here, I think it applies not only to today's episode, but it also applies to throughout our entire series of however long the Sohail and Yasin podcast is going to go on for, uh, is that Oftentimes when Sohail and I have discussions, we sometimes, and especially me, I, I tend to be somebody who likes to say, I don't know if controversial is the right word, but I like to say things that may be leaning too heavily either to the left or to the right. But the reason I do so, because I speak, I, I tend to speak in hyperboles. Like I often say like, everything is this way or nothing is this way. And it's almost has to, like you have to have a Google Translate, like a Yasin Translate there to be able to like, okay, he just means most of the time when he says always, basically, right? And the reason I do so is because a lot of the times when I'm speaking to somebody, what I do is I pinpoint where their bias lies. And I, what I do is I try to give them the opposite end of the spectrum so that way they will end up in the middle. Just like what I was giving the example of, uh, to Sahel before we started recording was like, if you've ever seen whenever they're growing plants or they're growing trees, like typically like a tree sprouts and it comes out of the ground and sometimes it ends up leaning, like the branches end up leaning too heavily to the left or to the right. And so what they end up doing is they actually end up tying a, a pole or some kind of like, you know, solid object to be able to pull the, pull the, the branch to the other direction, basically. Or you can imagine like if you ever folded a piece of paper and like, let's say you fold a piece of paper in half 
and then you unfold it and you get it in the middle, it still ends up being like leaning towards the side that you folded it. So you actually end up having to fold it all the way to the other side in order for it to actually end up being in the middle, right? And so that's kind of the way that I tend to uh, break people's beliefs or kind of give them the opposite end of the spectrum so that th that way they'll end up in the middle. And that's kind of the topic that I wanted to touch base on today was this Arabic word of wasata, right? So it's wow, seen, thought. And alif, uh, for the wasatan, wasata. And so the reason why it's very important to understand this concept in deen is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Baqarah, ayah number 143, he actually says, ummatan wasata. Okay? Now, what that basically means is that is that I, subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is the royal we of power, I have made you as, a, as an ummah, ummatan wasata. And this word wasata, what it means is that it's basically the middle point between two points. And so what that means is that we as an ummah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us a characteristic of us as Ummah Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is that we are an ummah of balance. We are a ummah of justice, like being in the middle, you know, being the truth. We're the ummah of um, being centered. We are not an ummah of extremes, whether that be the left extreme or the right extreme, right? Now, as a side tangent, uh, just so everybody knows, Surah Al-Baqarah is 286 ayat long. Half of 286 is 143. And 143 is the word wasata is mentioned. I just thought I would mention that. <laughs> because that is a whole other ilm. I'm not going to get into that. My teacher has spoken extensively to me about like the just the miracles in the ayat and the wording of the of the Arabic language uh, of not the Arabic of the Quran specifically, but I just mentioned that to be there just as a miracle is that Surah Al-Baqarah is ayah 286, half of 286 is 143, and the word wasata is mentioned in ayah 143. So Subhanallah, that in and of itself is a miracle, right? And so this is the characteristic that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is telling us is that وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَاكُمْ أُمَّةً وَسَطَ Right, and so we are the ummah of balance. And so uh, the reason why that's so critical to understand is because last week's topic was heavily leaning towards, hey, if you are currently a student of knowledge, and this is me having been a student of knowledge for 15 years now, 15 years plus, I started with my teacher when I was 13, 14 years old. The biggest issue that I find with specifically with those who have dedicated their lives to the student, to being a student of knowledge, is that they oftentimes will lean heavily towards learning rather than executing, right? And so that's why the conversation that Sohail and I had last week was specifically related to those individuals when I speak to them because they understand where it is that I'm coming from. Even the criticism that I will give or the me being critical of the entire uh, institution of knowledge seeking and those kinds of things, it's very important to contextualize what it is that I was speaking about last week. Because if you take it out of context and somebody who's not a student of knowledge or somebody who is maybe a layman person, somebody who maybe hasn't spent a lot of time studying deen, they might take what it is that Sohail and I discussed last week and be like, oh, Cool. There's no significance of knowledge whatsoever. It all just depends on my taqwa state. And so uh, in that case, I feel like I'm I'm good right now. My relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is good. And that's all that matters. When in reality, the truth is that the only way that you are ever going to be able to love anybody, right? And of course, the best example is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But let me give you an example here. So her and I have been friends for, how long have we been friends, bro? One year? I want to say one year? One year. Yeah, because yeah. I moved to yeah, Texas. One year anniversary is yeah. coming up. Or it's, there we go. it might have already passed. Maybe. Uh, no, because I moved no. to Texas, Texas October, yeah. so almost almost a year, right? And so as Sohail and I have learned more about each other, right? We've learned more of uh, each other's quirks. We've learned each other's, you know, uh, you know, and and this is in no weird way or anyway like that. But it's just in the sense that the more we learn about each other, the more you're able to have a relationship with somebody else, right? The only way that you can actually love somebody, right? If some of you out there are married, is because you know the person more and more and more. Now, of course, the best example is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the only way that you are actually going to be able to develop a relationship and have that hub, that love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is if you understand who he subhanahu wa ta'ala is. And the only way to do so is by actually seeking the ilm of asma wal sifat, which is the, the names and the characteristics of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the only way to get that the only way to know anything about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is only through the means by which he has told us. We can only, because we can't make things up, right? We can only understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala based on what it is that he has told us about himself, which is there's only one place to know that is through the Quran. And so that's why for me and all of my students throughout, you know, over the years and even my teachers to me, it's always been an emphasis on study the ilm of Quran, 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 and then obviously to develop the relationship with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and you have the love for him 
that comes through the studying of Quran to an extent, but also then hadith and seerah and those kinds of things. And so that's ilm is the cornerstone of Islam. And so I just wanted to go ahead and preface all of that because I wanted to bring balance to the force of, uh, of what it is that we were speaking about last week. Yeah, I, it, I think when it comes to the appreciation towards knowledge and wanting to pursue it, especially when it comes to, let, let's start with that concept of like the love of Allah and the the prerequisite towards actually attaining that love is to know who that person is, or not that person, you can't say that, to know who Allah is, right? And it just for example, I think in the past year or so, I've kind of, I think we all fall into this kind of delusion in a way where we kind of convince ourselves that we know enough, where it's like, okay, I've been raised with Sunday school, I've been raised with like random teachers throughout my life, and I, I have an understanding of what Islam is, and you kind of settle, right? And you kind of compromise. And obviously we learn about like never being content with where you are, but it, you don't really view it that way because you just think that, okay, anytime somebody tells me, okay, you have to love love Allah, then it's like, okay, you don't really know how to go about it. And just until like these last three weeks, actually, uh, I started a class at the Masjid, the Falah program. So I'll plug on that. Um, but basically we were talking about like the attributes of Allah and there was like the core ones like pre-eternality, eternality, things like that. And then there's obviously the, the names of Allah. And one thing that was that really stuck out to me as like a practical way of kind of implementing it was how when it comes to appreciating Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the, the blessings he's given us, it, the fact that we have 99 names is enough for us to go down like so many different rabbit holes of just trying to like bring us back to him. Because if you just take one name, for example, and you've tried to see how that applies to your life and you see like all the different aspects of like uh, an example, like what uh, the all, the all, the all, the all, the all, what hearing is that? That's one. I'm gonna sound super yeah, ignorant. Asimia. Yeah, Asimia. Asimia. Okay. Asimia, yeah. So I, I, in that sense, like just thinking about all the times where you've made dua or you've you've sat down and you've like asked for things, and whether you saw the out like the outlook of that or not, things changed in your life and brought you to where you are. And these little appreciations slowly bring you back to Allah. And I think without even recognizing the fact that there are 99 names and that they each have definitions and each of them have their own like background to them. There's a whole, there's a whole, there's so much depth in terms of the things you can learn and how it can actually help you in your day-to-day life. Yeah, but, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's where, inshallah, hopefully one day, you know, you and I, and maybe, you know, we get some, like one of the things that I would love to be able to do is really take that concept of a baseline of Islamic knowledge that we spoke about in last last week's episode and really have some sort of standardization um, so that we can avoid things like the, the Brother Adam story that I told last episode where like, hey, you know, somebody doesn't know the basics, right? They don't know what, who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. They don't know the difference between what is an ilah and what is a rabb. Right when you say that uh, la ilaha illallah la ilaha, what is what, what is ilah? And when you say alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin, that Allah subhanahu wa taala is rabbil alamin, what is the difference between ilah and rabb? When you say qul a'udhu bi rabbin nas, right? I seek refuge, a'udhu, and then rabbin nas with the rabb of an nas, which means mankind. What is so one of the names, one of the one of uh, who Allah subhanahu wa taala is? He's, he's the rabb. But what does Rabb mean? So a lot of people don't even know what that means. And so it's a matter of like, okay, instead of me learning some advanced fiqh of like, you know, like, let me go and study like, you know, the Hanbali fiqh and, you know, just go down some rabbit holes of like, you know, uh, I remember there was one one story my teacher was telling me how he would, uh, he was going to some masajid or something. And then the, the imam of the masjid was talking in, uh, in khutbah of Jum'ah about the zakah of bean farming, which is like, if you like, you know how we have zakah, which is of, of money, right? Mm. There's also zakah of bean farming, which is like, let's say you don't have money, but you have a business of like, of harvesting plants. There's a zakah for that. Like you have to do 2.5% of like a certain amount of your harvest or whatever that might be, right? Mm. <laughs> and so, the, excuse me, the imam is talking on Jummah about like the zakah of like bean farming, which is like, yeah, it exists in our deen, right? And I think I spoke about this in last week's episode. Is like the biggest advice that my teacher gave me, which was that this ocean of ilm related to deen is so vast you really, really, really need to focus on taking that which is applicable for you. Otherwise, you're just going to be spending your entire life just like going down different rabbit holes of not knowing what's applicable to you. And so I think, inshallah, hopefully one day as we launch, you know, the Dean coaching curriculum that I know you and I were speaking about before we started recording and kind of launching it inside of Masajid, 
it's like, okay, let's start building out that curriculum. Be like, okay, step one, step two, step three, step four. And then that way somebody knows exactly what it is that they need to focus on. So that way they're not learning the zakat of bean farming when they don't even know the difference between subhan rabbil azim and subhan rabbil al. Hmm. So finding out what exactly is most applicable to you and will actually kind of, how do you, how do you gauge what is actually going to be more applicable to you? Is that just based on your goals? No, so I think I think there's a legitimate answer to that. Like, so for example, like just Surah Al-Fatiha. Let's just start with basics, right? Like absolute basics. The truth is that the vast majority of people, and I'm not like, uh, and this, I never, I never put anybody on the spot. So it's not like I'm not, not like, oh, so hey, let's put each other on the spot or anybody else. I'm just saying in general, okay? The vast majority of people, if you were to say, yo, like let's go over the word by word of Surah Al-Fatiha, which we read 17 plus times a day uh, in all of our salawat and faraid alone, and Let's just go over the word by word and say, do we understand what Surah Al-Fatiha means? And I think you and I would be absolutely shocked and surprised how few people actually know what Surah Al-Fatiha means, right? That's number one. Then number two, I reference it all the time, which is what's the difference between Subhan Rabbil Azim and Subhan Rabbil Ala? We say Subhan Rabbil Azim in Ruku'ah and we say Subhan Rabbil Ala in Sujood. But what's the difference between Subhan Rabbil Ala that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and then what's the difference between Subhan Rabbil Azim that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is Azim? And so very few people even know the difference between that. And so it's like, okay, let's just start off with the very, very, very basics that's actually going to have a massive effect in your life because when you're praying, you're going to be able to have khushua because you actually understand what it is that you're saying. When you have khushua, all of a sudden, even if you don't know all of the other, you know, 97 or 98 or 99 names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the sulfat and the asma and all those things, at least you have a connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala five times a day in your, in your salawat. And that is a starting point, I think, for a lot of people. Okay, interesting. So you start with what's essentially most frequent, like Salah is one of those things where you're doing all the time and obviously pointing out what exactly you want to, understanding the Salah in essence. Um, you talked about last time there's different, there's those like core fundamental um, areas or sciences within Islam that all everybody could should kind of know and understand. What were those? That's a good question. We should probably write it down sometime. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't have, I probably, I don't have like a def definitive list, mm -hmm. but I think the, the same way that I've designed curriculums around health for my health and wellness coaching business, the same way that I'm designing curriculums around business for my business coaching business, like um, what I'm doing right now, for example, like in business, let me just give you an example. All businesses, no matter what business it is, can always be broken down into six categories. Like every business only does six things. There's lead gen, lead nurture, sales, fulfillment, uh, resale, ascension, and operations. That's it. Every single business, doesn't matter if it's Walmart, doesn't matter if it's a law store down the street. All of them have six core functions, period. And so what I find is that when I teach students in that frame, it's easier for people to conceptualize, be like, oh, that's all I got to know? Okay. Then it's like, okay, now how do we dive deep within each of those frames to be able to fill in the gaps that somebody may not have knowledge of, right? So within Islam, I mean, you could say like, there's obviously like you have aqidah, then you have, you know, fiqh, then you have... Quran, ulum al-Quran. There's a lot of different ways that you can break it down. But I think if I was starting somebody from scratch, the first thing I would ask them was like, yo, do you know the words of salah? Let's start with there. And then let's build up from there. So I think even the answer to your question from last week's episode with like, which classes should I take and how much study should I do? And should I go to madrasa? Should I go to like take a year off? I would just do a self audit to yourself and be like, okay, how many words in my salah do I actually understand? And maybe that's where I should number one focus on like immediately. And then after that, I can just put cherry on the top with everything else. Okay. So you kind of have to reflect on what exactly you do know, what you don't know, what your overall goal in life is, and just find those outlets that lead you to the overall, I guess, end goal. Yeah. I mean, I think if we were to systematize it, we would have some sort of assessment and some sort of evaluation. Now, obviously, unfortunately, we don't have that. But if you guys are interested in that, let me know. Maybe we can put something together. But uh, inshallah, I mean, my goal is inshallah, maybe in the next you know five years to put some sort of dean coaching curriculum together where it's like not only the ilm side of things, but actually leveraging what we learned from coaching hundreds of people in health, coaching hundreds of people in business and like how to be able to change people's habits. Because that's what dean, a lot of the dean coaching stuff is, is really just like, okay, you learn this, how do we then change your habit to reflect what it is that you know? Hmm. And so there's a whole science around, you know, habit change and, you know, identity shifting and the things that Sohail and I geek out about all the time. It's about, okay, how do we put that into a coaching program so that way everyone has a dean coach? Like how cool it would it be if you're like, yo, I have a dean coach, my dean coach said I gotta do this, like, it'd be awesome. Like it'd be, it, you have a one-on-one -on -one connection with somebody who can hold you accountable, somebody that you can be hundred percent transparent with and they can help you with your dean. It'd be pretty cool. It's just a random question. Well, do you know what the term is for the Islamic person that you go to, that you give your oath to 
and they'll guide you. Okay, so that yeah, so that's like a murshid. Like, um, so there's a couple of things here. First off, um, this is a huge topic. This is like a, like first off, you have to <laughs> yeah, like when you give when you give an oath, that's called bay'ah in Islam, right? So when you give an oath, it's called bay'ah, and so there's a whole like unfortunately this concept of having a murshid who's a guide in 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 life and then giving bay'ah oath to somebody. This has a concept from a deen standpoint because the Sahaba gave bay'ah oath to Rasulullah when they were um. Uh, at the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, they gave it the oath to Rasulullah. There's a, there's a whole history to this. Now, people in today's time have hijacked this concept, and they basically now be like, okay, I have a sheikh, I'm gonna give like oath to him, and then he's like my guide, and then all of a sudden it becomes like deviant, where like they're worshiping the person, and like a lot of crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of yellow tape that we have to talk to go deep into that topic about like, okay. What are the criteria of giving bay'ah to somebody? Um, is bay'ah even relevant in today's time because we don't have a khilafah? So is bay'ah only relevant giving it to a khilafah, to a khalifa? Or is it somebody that I should just, like my teacher, I just give bay'ah to him and then, you know, he has my life and his entire my entire life is in his hands? Or how does that work? There's a whole, like, topic in Islamic sciences. So I don't want to, I don't know okay. if you should go into it. No, 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 that makes sense. The only reason I brought it but up just was just be careful. If anybody says, give me bay'ah, don't, like, I mean, like, <laughs> don't accept like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's a whole, there's a lot of things you got to know about that. So it's not just like <laughs> giving oath to people about like, hey, tell me what to do and I'll do it. And then that's where people take that concept and then they go to people who are ignorant in like our back home countries or even here in in the West. And then they'll be like, okay, now they get people to do extreme stuff because hey, you signed your oath to me. I'm gonna have you go and do billah, like you know, super extreme, like you know, like you know, hurting people and like you know, all the things they do, crazy stuff. And so that's where it gets very bad because it becomes a slippery slope where people who are ignorant don't understand and they're like well i told the guy and i gave him my oath and now i have to listen to anything he says and he told me to go and do this so i did you know and so unfortunately a lot of young people get led astray because of those concepts and so it's just very important to be vigilant and very important to uh, ask questions and be critical thinking and not just following people blindly okay we'll table that then because the only reason i brought <laughs> it up was because you mentioned like a spiritual like a like a, a dean coach right essentially and in my head, that was like the extreme version of it, I guess, where you kind of don't have <laughs> like your own say on it anymore. And you kind of just like trust that somebody else can kind of guide you through your life, um, which I guess comes back to like you yourself taking responsibility, taking ownership and figuring out what it is you want to do and just making like it doesn't have to be like a huge grand choice, like where you're deciding to go off and study in another country, but something as simple as choosing those ayahs to, to memorize um, yeah, just to clarify, when I say dean coach, I meant like an accountability partner, like somebody, mm-hmm. not, not like a, not like a sheikh who's like gonna be like your, like your like dean coach in the sense of like, uh, just like you have a personal trainer who tells you like, yo, do you, do you eat your veggies? It's like, yo, did you, did you pray your, did you pray your salawat? Did you do your Quran that you're supposed to do? Like an accountability partner, not somebody who's gonna be like, you know, your guide for life and take it from there. So just to, just to clarify on that. Okay. Okay. Yeah, dude, I, this, this is, I, not really a tangent, but just going off the whole topic of knowledge in general, this past like week or so, I, we, when we were talking about Akidah in the, the class, um, we were talking about the different attributes of Allah and I like fell down this, we, we started talking about the Kalam cosmological argument and we're not going to, we're not going to discuss that now, but I fell down this rabbit hole of like watching all these different debates on YouTube about like people going back and forth. And like, obviously there's like Christian versus atheist. There's like Muslim versus like all that stuff. Right. And there's like the whole Dawah scene and there's people on the streets kind of, kind of, kind of preaching. And it's, it, it was just interesting to me to see how, how easy it is for us to fall into this like blind following mentality where there's so many nuances in just Aqidah where we we're not aware growing up or we just haven't been pointed out to about until you see all these experts in the field where they've analyzed all these critiques of islam and just how things are and most of them are non-muslims like a lot of these people who understand islam and know islam they're non-muslims and it it was just it was like an eye-opening thing because it, first of all, it was interesting. It was cool to see like all the philosophical arguments and logical things that they kind of throw back and forth at each other. And I like, I had like a midlife mini midlife crisis where I was like, should I do philosophy? Should I like look into this? Because it, it was it was really interesting. Um, and obviously, it, the whole point here is just it's it's crazy to see how much we kind of brush off as already knowing, where there's so much nuance and details that we just don't even realize is there and 
I sound like the the Ty Lopez dude. The how knowledge is more important. Oh, than knowledge, Lam- knowledge. Lamborghinis. <laughs> but it, it it's actually really interesting how much we kind of just brush off and just kind of put aside. Yeah, because the the whole so going back to like the categories of ilm that there could be right. You have ilm al aqidah, you have ilm al fiqh, you have ilm al sira, you have ilm al Quran. Like there's a lot of ulum. There's another ilm called ilm al kalam. Ilm al-Kalam is the science of how do you respond to those people who are attacking Islam from a philosophical point of view. And that's an entire science, like being able to like understand uh, persuasion, be able to understand like, uh, you know, philosophical arguments, be able to understand logic. Like there's a whole science related to Ilm al-Kalam is the science of how do you be able to rebuttal atheists and people from different faiths who, you know, have attacking to Islam. And so I think for the average layman person, it's like, some of that may be necessary, especially for us who live in the West, because it's, you know, especially if you're dealing with those individuals on, you know, on a regular basis. But truth be told, unless you're out there seeking those kinds of things, I remember in um, in England, there's a place, what, I forgot what the name is called, there's something called in London, because of my uh, my family's region from London. So we used to visit there like uh, every year during the summer. And there's a place called, I want to say like Heyman Square or something like that. I forgot the name of it. It's very popular. It's like basically where people go to debate. Like you go there and the entire park, I forgot, something square. It starts with an H, something square. I think most it's of these people were there. Like they were, they were so in this is, park probably. and there's just people walking around and they're in different groups and they'll just walk up to them and start a conversation. Yep, yep, yep. I went, so I went there and uh, I was like, um, I, I was like maybe 15, 16 years old and we were taking a family trip and I told my dad, I was like, oh, I want to go to this place because we used to go to London all the time. So it's in London and then uh, you just go there and it's crazy because people just stand up on like these like a uh, pulpit, like these like statue things they have at the park and then they just start like crazy like, crazy people some people are just absolutely crazy and obviously you got the muslim brothers who are trying to do that out there then you got these other people over there and then people will just circle around and like you know throw either slander at the person who's speaking or they're like they'll be like agreeing with the person and it's like it's the, like a weird 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 environment to be like going there it's really strange <laughs> yeah i was dude some of these videos are just straight yelling just people yep. like I, it was it was so sweet to find that one video where it was like two people in a crowded area talking like conversing and like throwing actual arguments and like they're conceding and they're just like being like calm but like the emotional side of this seems to be like super extreme like yeah well j- just FYI just to clarify here so again um there for somebody who in the last episode was like ilm, you know, you guys, but I'm going to throw another thing there's there's another ilm called da'wah is an ilm by itself there's usulu da'wah there's foundations of da'wah how to do da'wah right and so I think a lot of people don't understand what are the foundations of how to even do da'wah and just so you guys know like the very fundamental principle of da'wah as a whole is that building a relationship with somebody and this is in basic persuasion as well for us as sales and marketing professionals like in, in business we study this all the time is how do you be able to convince somebody of what it is that you have an idea of i'll tell you right now in those mosh pit arguments where people are yelling at each other there are no minds being switched like it's all just people yelling at each other there's nobody who's actually being convinced and so the only real way like truthfully if you want to do da'wah in a way that actually influences people it comes down from you being the best version of yourself and being the best example in your circle and then building that bridge to be able to then have that conversation with somebody in a very like it's not a high pressure sales environment it's just like yo what do you think about this what's going on here and then you just bring to question bring to mind the questions that somebody may not have thought about that maybe your non-muslim friend or something like that and so just so that you know if people are out there i know that when i was younger i was like oh bro this is cool the the, the dawah brothers are on the scene they, you know they're making mashallah go brothers it's awesome but the truth is there's no there's no minds that are being switched in those debates there's no like um, those people who are going there are being hyper, hyper analytical, hyper, hyper critical. And what they end up doing is they just end up digging their heels into their current position anyways. And that's not the way that persuasion actually happens. And the way that that actually happens and the way that people actually get interested in Islam is because somebody's like, oh yeah, this person was Muslim. He was a very nice person. And then he asked me about this thing and made me start wondering about what's my existence in life. And then I started researching it. And then I became a Muslim after that. So it's very, very like passive. It's not something that's very aggressive. And it comes from our own akhlaq and how we deal with everyone that's around us. Hmm. There was a, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, we learned that Imam Abu Hanifa, he, he was a debater or he was very experienced with the 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 um, art of debate. Al-Kalam. Yeah, yes. Al-Kalam, yeah. um, and his son one day w- expressed that he himself wanted to also get into it. And uh, Imam Abu Hanifa told him specifically like no i don't want you to or it was like kind of like in a 
telling him to just stay away from it. And his son was like, you do it. Like, why, why, why not? And Imam Abu Hanifa, the wording obviously is there. You can Google it. You can find out the exact wording. But the, the concept, the, the main gist of it was that he was saying when people of his caliber, they debate and they talk, it's as if there's a bird sitting on each of their uh, heads or their shoulders, I believe. And the concept was just like, the the main core idea is that you're each trying to help each other's argument and you're trying to help the other person get to the you're, you're each trying to help each other get to the right answer and it's like in those like street things you don't see that at all and there are some settings where it's like okay they have like socratic like full-on debates in like colleges and get things like that where they're hosted take turns doing the whole rebuttal thing um and those are those are really interesting um but like in that setting, it's more along that line of like just trying to have an audience kind of show them the the nuances in each of their arguments. And that's really interesting. But it it's, I guess the, the broad idea of all this is just there's all this knowledge that might not be fully applicable to you. But I guess the, the, the approach I'm taking on this topic is when you kind of fall down one rabbit hole of what's interesting to you, it might be a means of kind of bringing you closer to the Dean because you appreciate the fact that there's so much detail when it comes to all these things. Like when I, when I came across these debates and I was like looking up all these like ad hominem, what is uh, nihilism, like all these things, I was like, I've never heard of these concepts. And obviously it's because like in my environment, I've never been exposed to it. And in college, whenever it comes to the philosophy class, everybody's like, oh, it's boring because you just learn about like the people and the history and you don't learn about like the interesting stuff. But when you like actually uncover it and you see that applied and people like talking about it with such passion, it's such a it's such an attractive thing because it's just like, OK, there's all this information that's there. And it's just because me not knowing me being ignorant to the fact that it exists that's why I'm kind of like starting to become complacent. Like I'm just, mm -hmm. I'm not appreciating the fact that all this is there. And I thought it was just a really interesting way for me personally to come to it. And I was like, this is so cool, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think there's also like a fine line there because you have to be careful that it doesn't become a shiny object for, for you in the sense of like, again, you're seeking the, you know, the, the dopamine hit of like, oh, there's things that exist out there. And yet you're again, repeating the, you know, brother Adam story where it's like, you're learning something that, you're like, oh yeah, I got the dopamine hit of learn learning something new. You know, I learned you uh, what uh, sectarianism is, and I learned you know uh, what this is and what this is, and like all of a sudden you're like, yeah, but you don't know your basics still, right? So it's, I think it's a very fine line to knowing that it exists, and there is you know it's it's no it's it's not to say that you shouldn't know that it doesn't exist. Like if if I was to like advise somebody from the get, like if somebody was, um, and even to my students, I advise the same things. Like hey, it's okay to know the same like these things exist, but not to get so engulfed with them and be like, okay, that's my, that's the thing that I'm going to be focusing on trying mm -hmm. to learn now because it doesn't have a lot of application for you. That's one thing. The second thing I wanted to point out was there's a difference between when you mentioned the story of Imam uh, Abu Hanifa, uh, or Hafidhullah or is that, um, whatever suffix you want to, you want to put after his name, uh, Hafizahullah or Rahmatullah I got lost there. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I was like, which one do I say? It's just all coming out. Um, every but time you say the name, we have to say every yeah, single like Whenever you see somebody who's like a figure, it's like, what's the right, like, uh, you know, there's like, uh, if you're talking about shaitan, it's Lanatullah, if you're talking about like Musa, alayhi salam, and it's like Rasulullah, it's like, which one is the right <laughs> suffix that you got to say there? Um, but the point being is that. Um, there's a difference between ilm al-kalam happening to those who are of different faiths or atheists and those things like that versus the topics and the discussions that also get heated between the different scholars, between the ulama. And so I think per, probably the, 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 the quote or the story that may have may or may not have been relevant, I'm not sure the context of the, you know, the story of Imam Abu Hanifa in the, in the way that you told it, but I know that this is also another thing that a lot of people don't understand truly is that just like in any science, like for example, if you were to go into like physics and you go to the very peak of like the top 1% of, of, uh, phys, uh, what's the physics or physics or they're not physicians. Physicists. <laughs> physicists. There we go. I was like, they're physicians. I'm like, that's not right. They're not physicians. <laughs> Is if you go to physicists, right? If you go to the top 1% of physicists, they are having heated discussions about very nuanced things within physics. And so just like in any science, like in biology and physics and mathematics and 
in uh, even in doctors, like you can go to doctor forums where doctors are heavily, heavily, heavily debating on like some nuanced thing within the medical field. And so the same thing happens, I think a lot of times uh, that people take it out of context because of the internet now, where we're able to take these discussions that happen at a very high level between scholars and ulama who are like, have spent a lot of time studying and they may disagree with each other, but they are always approaching it from the mindset of adab, I've never seen anybody who's a scholar that of, of my teachers or my teacher's teachers. I've never seen them and I've seen many of them in person or I've seen them uh, you know, over the internet, is that I've never seen any of them ever disagree without adab and without having the utmost respect for the person they are speaking to. And so it is a very clear sign of somebody who is jahil or somebody who is like just trying to debate for the sake of debate when they go out of the the strands of adab, which is, you know, etiquette and, and having manners or something like that, right? And so, especially in the context of the story that you mentioned with Imam Abu Hanifa, it's exactly the ulama, when they have those heated discussions, they're always coming from the niyyah of how can I help my brother, right, get to the right answer? How can him and I both together get to the correct answer and the correct opinion? But what ends up happening is that with the internet today, these discussions can easily then, what it's not easily, they, they do readily every single day on YouTube, become the... The, 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 the food or the, the chewing material for the lame man general population. And then what ends up happening is that you get these unfortunate, I mean, low intellectual people who then want to jump into these academic, scholarly, like very, very high level discussions and they want to make them huge topics of debate. Right, especially within whether that be in aqidah, whether that be in sirah, whether that be in Quran, there's there's always nuances in any science, whether that be in the uh, in the in the dunya world or in the deen world. That's just how it is. When you get to the top levels of knowledge, there's always difference of opinion between those people, and that's just the nature of knowledge. If you don't understand the nature of knowledge, and you don't understand how na how knowledge evolves through time, then you probably need to like go and study that separately because there's a way to understand how knowledge evolves, and a lot of people will take this as an argument against Islam and say, oh. Aqidah is not like if you went to um, the Sahaba and you asked Umar and you told him like, uh, what are the three types of Tawheed? Or you told him like, what are the Arkan of Salah? Or you told him like, you know, they wouldn't know. Like you, you, if you took, and this might blow your mind, if you took like a year one exam from any of like any madrasa and you gave it to the Sahaba about like Sharia or like Aqidah or Sirah or any of that, they would most likely fail that exam. They would genuinely. Because of the fact of, of the phenomena that we spoke about in last episode is that there's been a development of the ilm, right? There's been a compilation of the ilm in a way that has never been done uh, previously. Like we have access to all the knowledge now. And so I think a lot of people, what they do is they take those things out of context. They take those high-level debates out of context. And then they try and put them on the main stage in front of the layman person. And especially in a time where I think our generation is very curious, we're very intellectually driven, we then sometimes utilize these very high, finer points about Islam to be like, oh, this is the reason why I think I have doubts in my deen because of the fact of X, Y, and Z. When in reality, there's so much prerequisite knowledge that you must have to be able to even understand why there is a difference of opinion at that high level. And so I think it's just very important to like contextualize things and then really be able to have somebody there, not somebody that you necessarily give oath to, but somebody who is at least knowledgeable to be able to guide you in the macro structure. So that way you're not getting lost in all of the weeds. And this is another thing that I'll go ahead and uh, mention. I know I'm on a pump it right now, on a, on a pulpit right now, but I got one more last point on this is that there is a difference between somebody who is a specialist in ilm versus somebody who is mahir or somebody who is, um, what's the right term here? Mahir, let's use mahir in this term. I think there's a more, mahir, let's use mahir. Mahir is somebody who's more encompassing in their knowledge. I, I think there's a better Arabic term for this, but not coming to my mind right now. But so let's say, for example, somebody is specialist in aqidah, right? Or somebody specialist in, um, let me give you an example here. Somebody specialist in Arabic language. Let's say they're an alim of Arabic language. An Arabic language scholar is going to look at the deen through the lens by which he has studied. And so when he even looks at the ilm of Qur'an, his opinion is always going to come from the, the perspective of Arabic language, right? Versus the Qur'a, the people who are actually like the people who have studied the Qur'an as their main thing, right? The, the Arabic language has not been their main thing. Their main thing is like Qur'a and the and the, uh, the Qur'at and like the different sciences of Qur'an and those kinds of things. They might look at the same thing, but they have a different version and different understanding of that, right? And so I think one of, alhamdulillah, bifadullah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I think one of the biggest na'am that I had on me was that my teacher growing up was somebody who had his uh, hands or he was very well-versed in all of the uloom 
So that way he was able to give a balanced approach and a balanced understanding in the same way, like in business, when I talk about business, there's people who are specifically sales coaches. There's people who are specifically Facebook ads coaches. There's people who are specifically fulfillment coaches. And so what they do is when they talk about business, they talk about it as if the whole answer for business is Facebook ads. And when they're selling a course, they're selling Facebook ads courses, right? And I, I've purchased thousands and thousands of dollars of Facebook ads courses because I thought, because I didn't know at that time years ago, the whole picture of business. I thought, oh, if I buy this Facebook ads course, this guy, he promised me I'm going to make X amount of money. But Facebook ads was just one piece of the entire puzzle of the macro piece of business. And so in the same way, it's very important to be able to understand the entire piece of the, the pie of no Islamic knowledge. So that way you're not only getting a specific segment and you think that entire segment is the whole thing. So like, for example, there's people who heavily lean towards maybe spirituality, people who heavily lean towards like taqwa or like, you know, developing the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or people who heavily deal with da'wah. And when you speak, whenever you speak to the brothers in da'wah, you think like all of Islam is da'wah. You'd be like, the brother's like, bro, if you're not doing da'wah, you're not doing nothing. Like if, and then they have, and that's the confirmation bias comes in. Because when you have that mindset, all you think about is you think about all the hadith and all of the ayat that are specific to da'wah. And so you pick and choose the hadith that are like, if you're not making da'wah, you're going to Jahannam. And then they have all these evidences of why that's the case, right? And so like, if you're like, it's like, brother, I'm going to Da'wah. And your brother, you know, I have, I got something else to do. It's like, brother, you're not going to Da'wah? Haram alaik. Like, you're, what are you doing? Something like, something terrible. And then if you speak to the people who are like heavily involved in Arabic language, they're like, brother, you don't understand Arabic language? That's it. You're done for. And so I think it's very important to be able to have that overarching holistic view so that way you can understand and then that way you can listen to everybody. And that's, alhamdulillah, that's one of the beauties of um, once you have the framework, you can then listen to everybody, but then you can pinpoint exactly within the framework, this person leans more towards this, you know, science or this specific thing, and he's going to be able to serve me within this specific piece of, if you guys are watching the video, I know some of you guys are listening to this, in the video I'm being, I, I talk a lot with my hands, but um, <laughs> so you can understand that this specific person specializes in this specific knowledge, or this specific person has this specific bias towards their uh, their their understanding of Islam. And so it, it helps me within this specific corner, but I should understand that it doesn't necessarily mean that's the whole picture of Islam. Okay, so you're talking about it in terms of recognizing who you're getting information from. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, who you're getting information from as well as what you are studying from. Like if you're like, if you're like, um, looking information online, or even when you're uh, auditing your own deficits, it's important to be able to understand, okay, out of the whole picture of Islam, where is my own deficit? And then that way you can go out and seek people who will fulfill that specific deficit. Mm, okay. Okay. I was, I, was, I, was, I was understanding it from the other way around where, um, and I, that's, that's all beautiful knowledge. I'm just saying the other side of it. There's, there's um, uh, I think Tim Ferriss was asked once about like, should you specialize in the area or should you generalize? And his answer to that was to become a specialized generalist. And the, the whole idea behind this is that there's, there's so many different facets of knowledge. Like you said, there's different sciences and obviously you want to have a baseline in all of them. Like there's a certain level of fundamentals that you should know before kind of choosing one to kind of go all in for, right? And the reason I bring this up is just because when it comes to these, like falling down these rabbit holes and watching these videos, like the the presumption or like the the before you even get to that point, the self-awareness and acknowledgement that like this is like you said aware of the fact that this is down one rabbit hole and i think on a on a broader perspective when it's just us like reflecting and trying to figure out what are the deficits in my life when you point out the fact that i i think when you have any issue in general and let's say it's like focusing in salah the answer doesn't necessarily mean that you have to look in one specific area like i for me specifically, when it came to trying to find khushu and khu, like khudu in salah, I believe that's the other, there's another term. Um, the default answer, the, the easiest one to go to is the sawa for like tazkiyah in general, right? And it's just like, okay, this specific science will kind of help me and become like attaching my heart to prayer and attaching my heart to Allah. But when, when I took a fiqh class, that's where I kind of realize the nuances of like the actual motions and like what is required, what isn't required, what is sunnah. Um, things like that. And when it came to Aqidah, the appreciation for knowing Allah and knowing His attributes is something else that also ties into Salah. So my, the the reason I'm bringing all this up is just that when it comes to one aspect of your life, it doesn't necessarily mean that, at least from my experience, it doesn't mean that 
there's one specific answer. Like knowing all those fundamentals and knowing every single area to a certain extent is something that can help you balance each part of your life. And that just brings it back to balance, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to go back to the point of specialist or generalist, that has more to do with... So the advice that I'm giving here in terms of being able to understand and contextualize uh, knowledge so that way you can understand how it's benefiting and where it's benefiting you, that is the general advice. Now, if somebody was like, yo... I want to go and study Islam. Like I want to do that fully. That that's what I want to do. Like as my major thing, then obviously you're gonna to have to specialize, right? In the same way that in your career, the reason why a neurosurgeon makes more than a general practitioner doctor is because of the fact that they specialize. So the, there's a there's a term that we say in business. They say the niches, the riches are in the niches, and that's very true because of the fact that in in any category of life, if you specialize, that means that your your even though you have a smaller segment of the population that you can help, your skill set is more tuned into helping that specific uh, segment of the population. So let's say, for example, you sell a time management course. You might be able to sell a time management course for $300. But then you're like, you know what? Okay, no, I'm going to sell a time management course for real estate agents. Okay, all of a sudden now real estate agents would be willing to pay maybe $1,000 for that same course because now it's tailored specifically to real estate agents. If you're like, okay, I'm going to sell a time management course to real estate agents who specifically specialize in flipping homes. It's like, oh, okay, now I can sell the entire same program for $1,500 or $2,000 because I'm niching down and the knowledge becomes more relevant to the, the person. So it's more useful for that specific person, right? And so when you're choosing a career path or you're trying to choose what it is that you want to kind of double down on as your thing, then yes, obviously you need to have some sort of specialization. But if you're talking about playing the game of life and being able to just have like your baselines as we've spoken about in last episodes of your deen ilm, that's where it's important to just understand the framework and then being able to understand your deficits and then be able to fill in the deficits according to what it is that you lack. Okay. So I guess I misunderstood the specialized generalist concept. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. He's talking about like, cause he's given advice to in dunya, right? Like, yes, in a dun- in dunya context, you never want to be a generalist because you, you won't make any money. Like if I was like, yeah, I help biz- I help all business owners, period. So I help people who are venture capitalist people. I help restaurant owners. I help consultants. I help coaches. I help everyone. Then I would never make money because all of them would be like, uh, I don't know if you can really help me. But for me, I specifically specialize in business coaching for consultants, coaches, and experts. People who have some sort of expertise and want to sell their knowledge and their advice and their skill set online. That's what I specialize in. So I'm not a business coach for everyone across under the sun. I'm specifically specialized within that niche. And that's what allows me to resonate my message to those people because then when they hear my message, they're like, oh, this guy speaks our language. Versus I'm going to speak to a restaurant owner. The restaurant owner has his own verbs. He, you know, he has to talk about cost of goods sold and he has to talk about like, you know, the headaches of being a business owner as a restaurant owner and all this kind of stuff. So it's a very different thing. So if you're trying to pick a career, you should be a specialist. But if you're trying to like understand Dean and understand like health and those kinds of things, like if you're trying to understand health, there's no reason for you to become like, let me go study power power lifting or like Olympic lifting or something. No, like for you to just be able to get by in your health, you just need to understand the basics of like caloric deficit, you know, be able to move, a little bit of mobility, you know, all of those things. And that'll get you to where you want to go. Okay. Okay. So I have a right. random uh, – yeah, sorry, what were you going to say? I just uh, I feel like I'm uh, like on a ranting mode today. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's all good. I – so okay, I was gonna ask a question. I didn't. I don't want to incite another rant, but I'm fine with it. That's not a. That's not a downside. Yeah, I mean, but, yeah. I, mean, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I was just gonna. I was just gonna ask because we were on the topic of niches, I guess, or niches, however you want to say it. Um, what? And this is just out of curiosity, and I feel like I know your answer, but what for you is your? In, maybe this is a wrong question to ask, but within Islamic knowledge, this is more out of just playing with the topic what is your specific niche in terms of what what is what is a specific area of islam that you are particularly interested in so i'd like to preface that first by saying that in no way shape or form am i a scholar in no way shape or form am i any sort of like learned individual i'm just so happy to have more repetition i I don't know if I've spoken about it in this podcast episode, but it's a mental model where repetition equals mastery. So the more exposure you have to something, obviously you know more about it. And so obviously me having been on the path uh, maybe longer than other people may have been, that's why it may seem like, you know, I have some sort of knowledge, but just to preface, like I'm not in any way, shape or form better than anybody. I don't have any sort of, I just, you know, just like everybody else, I have a love for this. And so I just tend to study a little bit more. Um, my teachers though have specifically been geared more towards the ilm of Quran. 
And so specifically of like uh, Tajweed was something that we studied heavily for a long time Studying a lot of the meaning of the Quran Really a lot So the Quran was a lot of where our foundation came from And then from the Quran, right When we study the Madaniya uh, Makki Surah We start Waqf and in terms of the Ilm al-Qira'ah So there's a lot of like Ilm within Quran by itself that we specialized in And then from there we then took that into seerah, we then took that into hadith, we then took that into aqidah, because the way that my teacher talked to us about it was that Quran was the basis for all of it. And so if you know the Quran inside and out, then that becomes your foundation for all of the other ulum. Because it becomes very difficult to talk about aqidah if you don't know Quran, because our reference for aqidah is Quran. It becomes very difficult when a lot of the things in seerah are referenced also in the Quran. And so, you know, it helps to have Quranic understanding when you study seerah. Same thing with hadith. There's a lot of, you know, um, overlapping between there as well. So, and a lot of the fiqh as well comes from, from from Quran. So that's where a lot of my studies was specifically in tajweed, in Arabic language. Some of that came in there as well, but specifically all from the Quran. Okay. I was, my guess was going to be that it was tafsir along that lines because you always like bring in ayat and just the Arabic language in general. So I assume that, that that's like an area that I'm personally like, I'm lacking and I know for sure because I haven't put much time into like tafsir specific classes. Um, and I guess my general answer for that would have just, it would have just been something like the Soa for Tuskegee and that's not to like mark that down at all. But I think that's just because most of the classes that I've been exposed to on a non-academic setting have been those like sort of feel good kind of boost classes, like lectures that kind of bring you back and focus you on islam but as of recent it's been the whole kalam and just all all of that that whole scene and dawah i guess in general but um yeah it's it's just interesting to see how many different aspects of knowledge there is and how specific they each go yeah absolutely i think that's one of the things that I've, uh, you know, you and I spoke a little bit about it and um how are we doing on time by the way we're uh, we are 51 so i guess we can Cool. We'll start. Yeah, we'll start slowly winding it down. Um, but that's one of the topics that you and I kind of touched base on before we started recording was, um, and I had this conversation with the brother yesterday for way too long. Like we ended up talking for like I haven't had a long conversation like that in a long time. It was like five hours of just talking about like he was very passionate about like he's like I found out that there's a house of wisdom Baytul Maqdis and I found out that like our the Muslims in the golden age we were like the inventors of robotics and algebra and obviously algebra by itself is an Arabic word or algebra right? I don't. Did you know that? I've heard of this, yeah, 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 yeah. So like all, you know, all of that, you know, Al Jabra is the guy, you know, the gentleman who came with algebra, and you know, like we so found clean. it, like it's it's very clean, right? <laughs> and so he was like, yeah, you know, I'm really passionate about this. I've it's changed my life for the last couple of years, and I really want to help the ummah, and I want to do all these things. And so me having been in the Muslim development scene for like 15 plus years of how, working with Muslims and helping the community, like I was, I kind of joke, like I was born in the masjid. Not literally, but like in in a figurative fashion. And so like literally like my entire life was spent in the masajid and working with da'wah and like, you know, how to bring uh, community activities, community organizing, bringing kids to the, uh, bringing kids to the masjid, you know, picking kids up for fajr, doing all those kinds of things. And so that was a lot of the youth that I spent. And so for me, these concepts of like, yeah, these golden age of Islam, those are things that I lived when I was 14, 15, 16 years old, right? It's not a new concept for me. And I think that a lot of times when people learn about these concepts, they get very, very motivated. Like, yeah, we're going to bring Muslims back to the Quran and the Sirah and like the Sunnah. It's going to be amazing and all these things. But it ends up being a slogan that people memorize versus they don't actually then talk about solutions that are actually going to solve things. Right. And so for me, as I've gotten mature in the space of actually helping Muslims, right, I had the whole slogan phase of my life when I was in my in my teens and in my early 20s. It was all about like, you know. Um, the slogan area it was always about like yeah we're gonna like uh, I'm gonna become the first Muslim billionaire and like there's no billion Muslims who are like uh, billionaires who practice their deen and like if only all of us came back to Quran and Sunnah everything would be awesome and those are all awesome to like boost us up but it's a matter of okay how do we then come up with solutions that are practical to re- realistically change things you know in a reality point of view and also it was like oh we're gonna have, we can have the first Muslim president and like if we organize well enough as Muslims and we come together then uh, we can actually make a change in, in America and like uh, Muslims in America can be the catalyst for change across Muslims around the whole world and like all of these ideas they're all very nice but then when you actually study history of change and you actually study how to actually make this a reality, there are some facts that you have to, realities that you have to come to conclusion with. And then once you come to conclusion of the realities, you can then actually start making progress towards, okay, we're on point A. How can I in my lifetime get us as Muslims to point B? Rather than what most Muslims are trying to do in today's time, which is that they're like, we're in point A. 
in the next 70 years, how can we get to point Z? Mm-hmm. And how can we build a Khilafah like tomorrow? <laughs> right? When in reality, you have to understand that there's Sunan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Sunan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is on the scale of like hundreds and thousands and millions of years. Like you have to understand like 70 years or 100 years in the timeline of that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is like... Um, like in, in the in the in the time you know in that in that span that Allah subhanahu created time. I'm trying to be careful in the way that I say this because you don't want to say the you know in the timeline that what Azabullah that Allah subhanahu works in because then you say Allah subhanahu works in. like it's very hard to talk about that from an aqidah standpoint. You'll attract all those all those people in the park to come after you. <laughs> exactly. There you go. You have to be very careful with that. But the point being is that I think it's very egotistical to say that um like, oh, we're going to start creating all of this change when there are certain realities that we have to face. And people are like, why can't we have a Muslim community center in every city in America? That's totally, I'm like, yeah, bro, but we're 1% of a population in America. Like, you have to understand that there come certain realities and restrictions with that. And then the sooner you can accept those realities and those restrictions, and then you can start building the next step above that. So that way, maybe in my entire life, all I can do is just get us to point Two, like point B, the next step up to that. And then the next generation can continue from there. And so I just thought I would lay that out um, there is because I know that there's a lot of things that I'm very passionate about, this concept of helping Muslims. I was going to start a Muslim business coaching, uh, Muslim business coaching business. Um, but they ain't whole, ready. They ain't ready. <laughs> Muslims aren't there yet. And so I'm so passionate about it. And that's what I emphasized to the brother. He was like, yes, Yasin, but if you plant the orchard seed, isn't it better to work harder and plant the seed versus the person who comes to the apple patch and like who gets more fulfillment the person who plants the seed and sees the orchards or the guy who comes to the orchards when it's all grown up i was like bro don't misunderstand me i've not given up on the vision to help the ummah that's always something that's there it's just a matter of how do we be realistic about helping the ummah and helping them actually make change that's actually like realistic and make a real change basically mm. and uh, mentioning the sunan of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and like the expansion of time and how like insignificant we are in the main in like the broad scheme of things it's a huge like grounding like fact in all of this because we kind of get swept away with our own um goals i guess and then this is where things don't become practical and then you're not working towards anything it's like a fake 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 deep fake goal type of thing and you kind of get lost in the sauce and it just becomes like a feel-good thing that you're just kind of like pump everybody up and be like yo you know we're gonna like we're most one percent of the muslim population if we just we're if we just unite as ummah around the world then we're gonna have like this and it all comes down to just uniting and like just just we need to love each other and no quran more and no sunnah more and then we become united and then we change the world needs to be or something like that like that's like that's like the pitch and i'm like okay that's awesome bro but uh, and I was like that. Don't get me wrong. I was like that for the first 10 years of my adult life uh, from from 13 to 21, 22. But it's like, okay, over the last six or seven years, I'm like, okay, how do we actually make a change? And where do we build from the ground up? So that way it's not just like pumping everybody up and then nothing actually ends up happening. So uh, I know this episode was a lot more of me just going on different tangents and so he'll kind of uh, help, you know, helping nurture those those tangents. But uh, what are your thoughts on this? Soil? No, yeah, I think it's a... Uh, I think the best way to like bring it all back together is just that whenever you're trying to change something else, you're trying to change the world, change the environment, it all starts with you. So when it comes to figuring out what it is that you need to change in order to get onto the level of even approaching the topic of changing other people, changing your environment, start with the super small basics. Like, and this is me speaking to myself because this is stuff that I need to do. Just start yeah. with like, like Yassin said about the Salah, different ayah, different things that you do on a frequent basis, identifying what it is that you can practically do and implement and just starting on that. And then obviously these rabbit holes of information that can be there is like motivation and like just appreciation, but it's important not to get lost in like focusing on something and neglecting the rest of everything else. Um, One of the teachers, one of the teachers once said, he said, establish Islam in your heart and then you will see Islam established in the world in your, in like wherever you see it else. And so it's like sometimes in order to change the world, you actually just have to start by changing yourself. And sometimes it means as simple as how about all of us just like go to bed on time and wake up on time and actually pray our salawat like properly, like just simple stuff. Like just go back to the super basics. And I guarantee you like a lot of the people who are listening to this, and I'm talking to myself here honestly as well, because of the fact that if we can't do the very basics properly, what makes us think that we're going to go out there and be able to change the entire world? So it's always a matter of like, hey, let's let's really execute on changing ourselves and then learning ourselves. And then from there, we can grow and help other people grow as well. Bars. 
We need to have a we need to have a soundboard. Oh, no, like, we could totally have a soundboard. Anytime we drop a gem, anytime yeah. like a mind blowing thing comes up, just click that button and then mashallah, like mashallah, 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 or takbir. You know, like it's like, yeah. Oh man, like yeah. Every single time you're you're saying those like slogan phrases, I was like fully imagining like a like a cheering or like a like a clapping sound effect. <laughs> that would be an awesome one. But once we get a once we get a little bit more advanced and uh, we start to get out there, absolutely, challenge repetition, and, but. Yeah, that's. I think that was a beautiful way to wrap it all up, um, and put a put a close, or at least for this episode, a close on this topic. Um, so, Jazakallah for everybody listening and for constantly, I guess, keeping up with these. If you are, um, if there are things that are annoying you about our voices or like the audio or the video, please let us know. Things that we can improve. We're open to all of these things, and uh, just like Yasin said please remember we're no experts in these fields. Like we're only speaking on our own experiences and all this stuff applies to me. Like this is stuff that I'm trying to learn. This is stuff that Yassin's trying to remember and learn himself and just keeping all this in mind. Don't quote us on anything. Take what is good, leave what's bad and just uh, go on with your day. So is there anything else? Consult your local physician before taking any medication. <laughs> your physicist, your local physicist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. physicist. There you go. <laughs> Consult your local physicist before taking any medication that is prescribed. But uh, no, like uh, I think that's that's the bottom line there. And then um, on top of that, don't worry. I know this episode was a lot of just kind of doing damage control for all the fringe, like the deep dives that we did in in last episode. But don't worry, we will be back with some more heavy, heavy deep dives in some uh, controversial fringe topics that Sohail and I like to... <laughs> if you didn't feel attacked in the last episode, just wait for the future. Just wait for the future. We'll, we'll be back with all sorts of uh, controversial things going on here. But uh, inshallah, yeah, with that, we will catch you guys on the next one. And uh, this is Yasin and Sohail checking out. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam.